welcome to Spilling the Crime, a true crime podcast hosted by... Me, Umberto Melo. And me, Jonas Grancha. Join us in this big adventure where we will be talking about crimes with a tipsy twist. How this crime happens, I want to know what the fuck is the unwrapped chocolate. Her name is Sharma Melgenlings. Magmar? Magmar? Magmar meningitis? Where's the dick, Lorena? Where is the dick? Oh, what is Are those your enemies? <laughs> Are they after me too? <laughs> Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? <laughs> And then he masturbated on the carpet. <laughs> Dangerous I mean, yeah, questions. No, no, was, yeah, yeah. Why? We do not agree with this. <laughs> Carlos said that. Don't copyright. Like what? Don't copyright us. Don't copyright us. Yes, please don't block us. So grab your glass, cause the spilling is about to begin. <laughs> hey, Paige. What you doing? Subscribe in the Bart box. Oh, is that the one where the puppers get a monthly box full of toys and treats? Also, doesn't charge you more for having a bigger dog so that each pup gets the size of treats and toys that they need? Yeah, that's the one, Sam. And did you know that if you use our link, barkbox.com forward slash M3 True Crime Pod, you'll get a whole ass month free. Let us help you spoil the shit out of your puppers. Pause for a second. Never, bitch. <laughs> Are you comfy? My back is kind of hurting, so I'm going to put my pillow on my back instead to see if that'll... I got another pillow here. You got another pillow? Uh, I can't reach it. got T-Rex arms. God dang it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paige. Hey, Sam. What you doing? Trying to figure out my favorite flavor of jello. What's your favorite? None. <laughs> I really don't like jello. It's the consistency. But if that's all you feed me in the basement, then yeah. I'll <laughs> I was take about to say, what get. have you been eating in the basement then? Uh, I'd rather not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> other than that, what are we doing? Recording a podcast. And what's that podcast called? In Cute. Murder, mystery, and mayhem. Motherfucker. Do we have any any new stuff? Since like two days ago? No. Yeah, since like, well, it's, it's been, the fuck day is it? Thursday. When did we record? Oh, Monday. Oh, okay. I'm very confused right now. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> uh, we still don't have Rhode Island, North Dakota, or Alaska. So I'm going to need you guys to get on that. We're trying with the Rhode Island cases, though. Was the last one a Rhode Island case? I don't remember. No, just the next Sorry. the next few are going to be. Because, <laughs> yay. No, I, I have been trying to find more Rhode Island cases because, you know, when you go into the Charlie Project, they're the... They have the least amount of missing people listed. Turns out they have a shit ton of unsolved cases. And in the time that I'm going to talk about in... mm, Do you know know how difficult it is to keep track of all the things that I've done the last couple of days? 
uh, super difficult, especially because you were in pain while you were doing all these things. Oh, yeah, that's true. But I wasn't um, intoxicated while doing these. Well, in the early 90s and uh, into the late 90s, this area that I'm going to talk about is fucking insane. There was at least one serial killer and, like, 15 other rapists. Or a serial rapist with a few extras. Either way, I there were so many women listed. It's maddening. That's crazy. And they're just all unsolved? Um, not all of them. Some of them were kind of connected because, like, on the same day that a guy I'm going to talk about that is potentially connected to this woman that I'm going to be talking about... <laughs> Turns out he is a murderer and serial rapist and serial killer. There were a lot of names that could potentially be attached to him. But also on the same night that he abducted someone, across town there was a woman that was abducted. This same night. And she was sexually assaulted and it was it's a whole thing in this, this little town. Um, wound socket or something like that. Wound socket. W-O-O-N-S-O-C-K-E-T. Wound socket. <laughs> so I guess since I kind of uh, dove right into that, we're just going to go in. You good with that? Mm-hmm. All right. Sweet. I have no... Oh, I do know how I got to this case. Because I was looking up the other one that I'll do for next week. And this is technically unsolved? Technically. technically. No, I don't like those. Uh, there's... <sighs> It's ridiculous. So, the woman that we're going to be talking about today is Katrina McVeigh. And when I go in and start talking about some of the people that were involved with her, there's going to be some very uncomfortable bits. And I'm going to go ahead and say there's some triggers in here, and I'll try to remember to say, hey, skip forward, but we all know how squirrely as fuck I am. So, I'm sorry in advance. When we start talking about Richard McVeigh himself, about his his specific charges later on, it does involve a minor. So, just keep that in mind when I start talking about him, and skip forward a little bit if uh, that's not something you're interested in listening to. But, I started on the Charlie Project on this one, like I do on most of them these days, because I feel like the majority of the uh, the majority of the people listed on the Charlie Project, are a lot of the lesser-known cases. Mm-hmm. And I say this because if you find a name, find a small little description of how they went missing and, and a few sources, when you go to do your searches, you're not going to find anything more than that. Very rarely are you going to find more than that. In the yeah. next episode, I have a Milk Carton Chronicle about a man who's just missing. Yeah. There's nothing. But... I got Katrina McVeigh's name from that. And so I'm going to go over what the Charlie Project kind of has and then kind of delve into more of the news articles and things that I found. (sighs) Here we go. So Katrina has been missing from Woonsocket, Rhode Island, since May 3rd, 1992. She was described as a white 27-year-old woman. She was 5'1 and weighed around 90 pounds. She was tiny. Yeah. And she was how old? I'm sorry. Uh, 27. 27. Yeah, it's, it, she's super tiny. Um, she had brown hair and she had 
her ears pierced, and those are the two things that were, like, mentioned about her. You know how they try to do scars and mm-hmm. stuff like that? Yeah. The Charlie Project stated that Katrina was last seen getting into a car near Front and Lincoln Street in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. I I need somebody to tell me if I'm saying that right, because I feel like it's probably not, but... Woonsocket. 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 <laughs> if I'm not saying it wrong, right... Wrong, right? If I'm not saying it right, <laughs> I apologize. How sort of? Say it? I have no idea. Um, socket. She was involved in drugs and sex work at the time of her disappearance, and around that time, she had also left her husband uh, due to an abusive relationship. That's the tiny dick man that I mentioned earlier. That you'll understand my anger toward him soon. And I, again, I'm going to apologize. She wasn't officially reported missing until June 17th, 1992, because she and her family were not uh, very close, it didn't seem. She had gone through a very rough patch with this uh, relationship with Richard, and she had gotten on into the drug scene, and she had actually lost custody of her children. And so... She was kind of floating. The Charlie Project stated that foul play is suspected and the investigators believe she is deceased. They have identified a person of interest, but no one has yet to be charged in connection with her disappearance or potential murder. In a bit of a twist, it is suspected that Jeffrey S. Malhot was responsible for several other women's disappearances and deaths in the same area. And I'm going to go into him just a little bit. When I first started re- when I first started writing this, I was like, I'm not going to touch on this man just yet. I'm maybe another maybe another episode because I got very curious about her husband, and that was enough to break my brain. Again, you'll understand. But anyway, so the Charlie Project states that Katrina's family believes she ha- she was murdered by someone close to her, and then buried on the banks of the Blackstone River. And her brother had actually searched that area many times and believes that he found some of her clothing. After her disappearance, her mother got anonymous phone calls from someone saying she would never find her daughter. So did they look into the boyfriend, I'm hoping? There wasn't a lot to go on. She didn't have a permanent place of residence. She had gone, I'll get to that in a second, but she was staying with a family friend or a friend of hers at the time. And... She didn't have any stable employment. She really was using sex work to fuel habits and and things like that. So it really could have just, it could have been anybody. Because they don't know who she got into the car with. You never know. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I do know that the law enforcement agency there has a detective that is on the case are on cold cases in general, mm-hmm. and hers is one of them. And one of them say, I'm like, we have some people of interest here, but they won't name them. And nothing has moved forward. But they also haven't found her body or any signs of where she was taken. Like, she's just gone. Wow. And the only thing that's kind of given them any direction are those phone calls of... You're never going to find your sister or the daughter or I killed her and I 
put her by the um, Blackstone River. I went from the Charlie Project and I found an article by the Woonscott Call that reported reported on Katrina's family's heartache in uh, 2017. The article stated that her mother Charlotte would go to the Blackstone River once a year around the time that she disappeared and she would put a bouquet of, of carnations into the river and she said I'd throw the flowers in the river and pray that they would find her. This continued for well until about 2007 when she had to had to take care of ill family members like they were sick so she she was the primary caregiver for them mm-hmm. so she wasn't able to make the trip because they moved from a, from that area but the article explained that just before Katrina's disappearance there had been some type of violent interaction between her and her husband Richard McVeigh and she had been staying at a shelter for domestic violence victims but unfortunately she was forced to leave so I don't know. I, 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 where I used to work with the Department of Children's Services, I dealt with domestic violence shelters entirely too much for my liking. But essentially, there are some in the bigger cities, especially, that have multiple houses that can't, so they can rotate from one place to the next so they can keep the safety of their occupants. And they, ha- typically, they have a, no cell phone or no phone policy, at least for a good, a good chunk of when you first get there. Because in those situations, that is the most dangerous time between the abuser and the abused. Because at that point, they realize they they don't have as much control as they thought they did. And so they're going to strike and try to take that back. So somehow Richard found out where she was staying And he went there and he started banging on all the doors and windows trying to get to her. It didn't explain how he got the information of where she was, but yeah, so he did that. They decided, the people over the domestic violence shelter decided to remove her from the shelter because he was not only endangering her, but everyone else that was there. I wish they would have, could have found a different solution than just kicking her out, but that's what they did. One of her friends offered for her to stay with her, and that's the last person that saw her alive. She's the one that reported she, Katrina getting into the car with some random person. You know how I, I... So I said earlier that Katrina's mother believed her daughter was somewhere along the Blackstone River. Well, that's because they believe Richard called. They believe this... The anonymous caller is Richard, but it's not been proven, so it's just how they feel. She says that she believes Richard had called her one day shortly after Katrina vanished and told her that she was on the banks of the Blackstone River. They reported this to law enforcement, Mm -hmm. but, I mean, they searched, but they couldn't find anything. Right. In the article, her mother says, did he kill her? I don't know. I can't point the finger at him. But he was involved. I'm positive he knew. So after rumors spread about Katrina being along the riverbed, uh, her brother, who was a police chief at one point later on, he searched the riverbed multiple times. And like I said, he found a a shirt that he believes was the last one she was seen in. But there was no other, no other clothing, no other 
Nothing. Yeah. No other clues. Katrina's mother recalls getting a phone call after he finds this shirt. And again, she believes it was Richard. Saying, tell your son he's never going to find her. The family put up over 250 flyers in Woonsocket, Providence, Central Falls, and Cumberland, Rhode Island. There were, t- there were tips called in, but there was nothing that would move the case forward. And still, they're in the same spot. Like they, There's really nothing. Right. Charlotte said, For years I had nightmares of her being dumped someplace, animals pulling her apart. You can't imagine the things that go through your mind. I've had care, yes. I've been under professional care. I have an open line when I need it, and I know where to go. I cannot imagine the torture that Katrina's family has endured. Mm. It is bad enough that she disappeared without a trace, without any evidence. But to add on this anonymous caller, just making it worse. Right. It's a piece of shit. Yeah. Absolute piece of shit. Uh, The article mentioned that law enforcement made a statement about Richard being in prison right before her disappearance and right after. But during the time that she went missing, he was out of prison. Of course he was. They have a new detective, or had a new detective in 2017 when this article was written, and the police chief promised fresh eyes and to look at the case from top to bottom. At the time of this article, the the detective on the cold case squad said, there are persons of interest in here. I can say that. But he wouldn't. There was no further statements of who they were, or how they were connected, or if they have any other information. And I looked at multiple sources, and this is pretty much all I could find about her disappearance. Really? Mm -hmm. So she was last seen May 3rd, getting into a vehicle, and there's nothing else. Was that t-shirt really hers, or they just think it was hers? They just think it was. And I don't know if law enforcement believes it's hers, but her brother does. So this is the part that broke my brain. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm probably going to skip some of the stuff that I wrote because this makes me exceedingly angry. Because I, Listen, I just wanted to see what he was in prison for after Katrina's disappearance. I wanted to see if it could be connected in any way. So, I found a Court of Appeals document. I'm going to just say uh, this is the... the beginning of the trigger. <laughs> It'll take me a minute to get to the part that is triggering, but it's it's getting there. He filed an appeal or a motion to reduce the sentence. The judgment was made in 1996. He was convicted of eight counts of first-degree sexual assault and sentenced to life imprisonment, imprisonment on each count. It is the weirdest, like, way of completing a sentence, but that's this is how it was laid out. So there were eight sentences total. The first four life sentences run concurrently. So essentially... There's eight sentences total. Yes, eight life sentences Not total. eight years. Eight right. sentences total. Eight sentences. So eight life imprisonment in total. So the first four are run concurrently. Okay. So essentially he's, he's doing only one life for the, for the first four. Okay. And then... Once that is up, he will do the same for the next four. The How first, many years? I don't know. A lot. Life in prison. 
he's never getting out, like, at all. They're four life sentences. Eight life sentences, I'm sorry. Well, but four of them he's... So technically he's only doing two. two. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully their life sentence is not 25 years. I don't know, but once you sort of realize what he's in there for, I'm sure that he probably won't make... Actually, he's dead, but... (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Then all's well. I can imagine him uh, not faring well. For what he did? So, I'm sorry for that whole confusing conversation, but essentially he's he was two consecutive life sentences. So, he claimed that his sentence was far greater than others convicted of the same crime. So, I'm like, mmm, that does seem kind of steep, because, you know, normally it's like, I don't know, slap on the wrist kind of thing. So, then I read more of the document, and it is not like every other sexual assault case that has ever come before a court. This one's rough. This is where the triggers start. Like, the actual thing. So, skip, like, a minute or two, probably. I tried quoting the the opinion or the judgment on uh, this, but it was a bit much for me, to be honest. So, I kind of skipped some bits and paraphrased and others. But this is essentially what it says. We concluded that the facts of this case clearly justified the sentence imposed. The evidence at trial showed that the defendant's sexual abuse of his... He sexually abused his own daughter for four years. And not only sexually abused her, he physically beat her. And I'm not going to go into the reasons behind that. Just know he is a piece of flaming garbage. And he's dead. And he's dead by cancer, by the way. So if you want to read it, you can absolutely find it. I did. But anyway, so he, he, he tortured her. It's, that's what happened, and he, I really hope he was tortured the way he was, the, the way he tortured her. Yes. While he was in prison. So, he isolated this poor girl. She was forced to drop out of high school at 16. She wasn't allowed to have friends over, she wasn't allowed to have boyfriends, nothing like that. She was finally able to leave home when she was 18, and he continued to show up at her home unannounced. And this continued. And she tolerated this until she was married and had kids of her own. And she chose to, at that point, she chose to disclose the abuse that she endured to the police. So the Court of Appeals upheld his sentencing due to the extenuating circumstances. And he was, so he was sentenced on June 30th, 1993. And he was not in prison at the time of his wife's disappearance. In in April of 1991, he was in jail for domestic assault, and he was released in September of 91. So, he was out during the time of her disappearance. I didn't get, I didn't find a lot on Katrina, to be honest. I found some bits and things from the articles that her family mentioned her in. Her brother that I mentioned earlier that found the shirt, Mm -hmm. that was a police chief at one point. He was only 16 when she disappeared. There was an 11-year age gap between the two. When he told WPRI, he said she was she was always mischievous. She was always up to something, always had you. If you needed an issue, she was right there, whether it be a hug or anything else. He said, it's not about who anymore. 
maybe somebody will drop a line and say, hey, this is where she's at. And that's all the information you're going to get. And as far as the family side, that satisfaction. That that's all they want. They just want to know where she is. Yeah, that would be horrible not to know. But I forgot I forgot they did this. But um, you know those playing cards that they distributed to uh, prisons that had uh, cold cases information on it? Mm. Have you ever seen them? No. Like, it, whoever did it is brilliant. Because uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was a, a lot of cases that were solved that way. So, really? Yes. So what they did is they would take a cold case in that state, like Katrina, for, exa- uh, for example. She In this set, she was the Nine of Diamonds. And they put her picture on there, and they put where she went missing from and a little blurb about her and her case. And they have a full deck. And you can actually see the whole deck uh, from... One of the articles that I uh, will link down below, but it's interesting. Uh, but they, yeah, I did not know that. But yeah, they've they've solved several cases that way because they would have inmates tell on others, yeah. <laughs> essentially. So it, it just it just brought up more um, information. I'm gonna have to go into uh, a, a mini series on that. I think about. The cases that were solved that way. Yeah, that's cool. I did not know that. I mean, I had no idea. Yeah, that no idea. It is pretty cool. But yeah, so that's that's that. Uh, <laughs> she, like I said, she was nine of diamonds, and that's it. Okay, so <laughs> like I said, uh, I wanted to kind of go over how terrible this area was at the time, and why it's actually difficult to pin down. Who the actual perpetrator for Katrina's case is. And they're just running rampant there. Oh, yeah. Was there no, like, police officers? Oh, there were. In June of 1992, a 19-year-old woman was abducted after leaving a friend's home in Woonsocket around 10 p.m. A knife was held to her throat, and she was led to the World War II Memorial Park. After being sexually assaulted, she was forced to walk toward the Blackstone River. Fortunately, this girl noticed a police car coming toward them. She began screaming and fighting. And she was an absolute badass. Because he still had the knife to her. And she fought. Anyway, so the officer saw this and he, like, jumped out and started chasing the tiny dick man. Turns out it was a 29-year-old man named Larry Moore. And he was arrested. That same night, just across town... Another individual had kidnapped a woman and sexually assaulted her in St. Charles Cemetery. What? Of all the fucking places. Really? And then again in 2004. Now I know I'm like skipping years here, but like there's a shit ton. Like if I really wanted to go into it, there was, there was a lot. In 2004... Jeffrey Melhot was apprehended after a failed attempt at killing a woman, and this would be his fourth victim. I say fourth because he only confessed to the murder of three other women. So, he was a violent son of a bitch. What the fuck? Uh, And he would frequently get sex workers to go to his home and not only sexually assault them, but violently sexually assault them. He would choke them and things with, like, garrots and shit. Like, it was awful. Jesus. Yeah. There were actually a few of the sex workers who reported it to police, 
which makes me wonder why the fuck he was able to take the lives of three women at least. Sometimes you get in your, like, announcer voice. I know. It's when I get real pissed off and I need to make sure that I'm not just mumbling. Yeah. It's not a conscious thing that I do, but it's a thing that I do. So, like, okay, listen, I get it. There's the whole, there's a whole thing with law enforcement not wanting to believe sex workers because they're sex workers and it's a whole fucking bag of dicks is what it is. It's, it, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised at this point, but it is so tragic. It's infuriating. So, (sighs) thankfully though, they, these women who had reported him before Mm -hmm. did so, and they were able to give his actual address. Thank God. Because after this woman, the fourth victim, escaped, escaped, she was able to say, this is who he is, this is where he lived, this is the description. So then they looked up his address, and they were like, oh shit, he's done stuff like this before. So then they go, they obtain a warrant, they were able to get into his home. His home was immaculate. Except his bathroom, which, with the luminol, lit up like a horrifying Christmas tree. So, the officers or detectives or whatever go to him and and they explain what they found. And he confesses to strangling Audrey Harris, Christine Dumont, and Stacy Gullett. He told the officers that he dismembered their bodies and placed them into trash bags and disposed of them. In public waste receptacles. So, of the three victims he confessed to, only Stacy's remains were found, but only partially. They found her by digging through the wound sockets landfill, and they continued searching, but they haven't found the other other two. Where is De- Dexter Morgan when you need him? For real. He should have been all over Rhode Island. <laughs> what the fuck? Somebody needs to. So her, uh, Stacy's uh, partial remains were returned to her family in 2004, and they were able to give her a proper-ish burial. That's just awful. I hate people. So this this area around this time was fucking terrible, and I hope that it's changed at this point, but I don't know. I've not looked further into <laughs> all of that yet. Surely. This was back in the 80s and 90s? Late 90s, or no, early 90s, and then this one here was 2004. Uh, 2004? Yeah, 2004 for the douche magoo that was a serial killer. That was killing sex workers? Mm -hmm. So that's my my tale for today. I was going to go back a little bit, and I know we had talked about it before, but I would like to start finding resources in each state. Or across the world, I don't, I wouldn't mind that either. For people who are in domestic violence type relationships. Yes. That way we can get a large list together by each state or country or whatever and try to help those who need it. So, I've got several in Tennessee already (laughs) because I collected those while I was working for DCS. But if you guys happen to have any resources that you know of send them our way and we'll add it to a master list and we will distribute that. Okay. So that was full T-Rex? Parts of it, yeah. Parts of it was definitely full T-Rex. So 
I've got something to get us back to neutral. Woo! Um, I'm on the Audie website again, O-D-D-E-E. We love them. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, we haven't been on there in a little bit, but yeah. uh, these are cute stories. Do it. The first one, the title is Hamster Stuck in Tiny Pipe Escapes Using Tiny Ladder. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's a funny image in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. <laughs> okay. Poor, it says, and I'm going to just read what it says because they're always funny on here too. Yes. Um, poor Jamie the hamster was stuck in a tiny pipe for almost a week. Almost a week? Mm-hmm. He ended up at the bottom of a 10 centimeter wide, three foot tall pipe, and the pet sitter at the time could not get him out. And the, I thought this was cute. The sitter spent six days dropping food to him and even a rope with the hopes he would climb out. Aww. She finally called animal rescue rescuers for help because, I mean, yeah, they just couldn't get her out. I honestly don't know what I would do if I if I was in that situation. Yeah. I would just freak out. Yeah. yeah. She tried to make a little tiny rope. That's a cute. That, I thought that was cute. And she made sure, you know, to keep dropping food down there for the hamster yeah. to eat. Animal welfare officer created a tiny ladder out of a single row of old wire mesh and placed it in the pipe. Jamie managed to climb up the ladder to safety shortly after. Aww. She was a little dehydrated, but it was fine. But yeah, ain't that funny? That's so cute. I mean, that's, I would be freaking out. Oh, absolutely. I don't, I honestly don't know what I would do in this situation. Yeah, I don't think we have a animal welfare, animal rescuers. Mm-mm. But now I know I need to get like some chicken wire and turn it into a, a ladder. A little ladder. Mm-hmm. Be perfect. Okay. Next one. Okay. Tender to the rescue. <laughs> that is not a headline I thought that I would ever hear. <laughs> so I picked it. Okay. In a, ge- in, a blah, blah, blah. in a genius move, Katie turned to Tinder to find and rescue her lost cat. Oh. Mm-hmm. After Peanut disappeared from her home, Katie wanted to do more than just put up lost cat signs. She needed something more drastic and efficient. Tell me more. (laughs) Katie set up a Tinder profile for Peanut using a 6.5 mile radius of her home, featuring his picture and asking for help finding him. Within 30 minutes, Katie matched with 400 people who promised to look out for a cat. Oh, I thought they found it. (laughs) My bad. I should have read. But anyways, within 30 minutes, Katie matched with 400 people who promised to look out for a cat. One man spotted the cat in his garden but the cat fled when Katie arrived. She left a trail to her home of tuna, kitty litter, and dirty laundry from where Peanut was spotted. (laughs) That's funny. Peanut arrived at her door meowing to come in just a few hours later. Oh, that's so funny. That is funny. Just put him on Tinder. That's that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I never really thought about that, though. I mean, Facebook works. I mean, yeah. But, like, tender. That's funny. No, why not? Mm-hmm. Okay, next one. A dog, a man, and a tortoise crawl into a hole. Is this one of those, like, mm, jokes? No, I was just thinking, like, the, um, one song. A song? Yeah. Hold on a second. I'm trying to think. The TV dancers driving me nuts. Um, 
There once was an old lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. <laughs> that's that's what I that's what it made me think of. But also, it is one of those jokes. Okay, well, <laughs> I love how you're just okay. Okay. Um, firefighters were called to a scene in California following a report that a man, a dog, and a tortoise were stuck in a hole. By the time they arrived, the man had freed himself from the hole which was actually a tunnel dug by the family's pet tortoise, the 70-pound tortoise named Godzilla. Isn't that cool? That is an awesome name I love that tortoise. name. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That is so cool. Godzilla was in his tunnel when the family German shepherd named Taylor decided to join him. Aw. He just wanted to be friends. Yeah. Taylor brought a blanket, which resulted in the entanglement of the animals in the blanket. Aw, no! He was making sure Godzilla was warm. And that is the sweetest. They were going to have a sleepover. I hate that it happened, like, what happened, but that was, that's really sweet. Luckily, within about ten minutes, the firefighters were able to remove enough dirt to untangle the animals and unwedge the dog. Godzilla was finally coaxed out with some lettuce. Aw. Yeah. That's so cute! (laughs) Aw, everybody. If I had a tortoise, I would definitely name him Godzilla. Now I'd have to think on it. Or Raphael. <laughs> See, I would have to get four. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would never know which one's which until I, like, painted a little <laughs> symbol on their back or something. There you go. Yeah. That's adorable. That's cute. All right, we're not at full T-Rex anymore, guys. No, no, we're not. No. 70-pound tortoise. Digging holes in your backyard. That's big. Yeah. Especially if you're digging tunnels in your backyard. I mean, they must have, like, some acreage back there. Anyway, so, if you would like to contact us or send us the programs that uh, you guys have in your area for uh, domestic violence or anything of the sort, send it our way. And you could do so by through any of the social media. The... Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And you can find us all through M3 True Crime Pod. And then we also have an email, which is m3truecrimepod at gmail.com. Uh, and then we'll have our link tree down below. And that has all of our socials, our website, the case suggestion slash request button, and Patreon. our Patreon! Which we just sent out April and Kendra's stickers. Well, I think they're static cleans this time. But we just sent those out today for the second? Yes, yeah, this is the second quarter one. We also sent um, In the Nick of Crime some stuff too. Yeah. And we are very excited for them to get their stuff. <laughs> Speaking of In the Nick of Crime... <laughs> We love them. Yes, we do. They are hilarious. They really are. They are our doppelgangers. Mm-hmm. If you haven't um, listened to them yet, you should definitely go. They are so good at telling cases and also so fucking funny. They really are. They are the fuckery to our dumbassery. One day we'll have dumb fuckery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I absolutely love sending them weird ass shit. <laughs> <laughs> she does. <laughs> Their responses are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we 
We got real off topic there, but we love you. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> I don't remember where we were at. Also, whenever y'all are listening to us on whatever platform that you listen to us, if you don't care, just to give us a rating, maybe leave a review. Leave a review. If you know, the platform allows. Some we of would, them don't. Yeah, some of them don't. We would very much appreciate it. Yes. We love you guys. Love you. Okay. Bye. Bye.